Good morning to everyone here in person and to those who are joining us online. No, you do not need to hit refresh. Yes, this is the same orange sweater as last week. It is an orange sweater that I hope to wear two more times, and if that happens, I may not take it off. <laughs> Silliness aside, for this Northeast Ohio guy who isn't used to things in January, anyway, that aside, if you have your Bibles, please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We are now going to take some time to consider the Ten Commandments. We're going to be in here in this chapter for a few weeks as we work through this. There are certain moments in Exodus where we need to slow down and take into serious consideration what we find there. There will be other moments in, in the rest of our series in Exodus where we're going to cover several chapters all at once. But right here, right now, we need to tackle these famous infamous, well-known words, whether you grew up in the church or not, the Ten Commandments. So we're going to read, first of all, we're going to read verses 1 through 11 today and consider the first four commandments that deal with our relationship with God. The last six commandments deal with our relationship with each other in light of our relationship with God. So we're going to work through that together, and then in a couple of weeks, we're going to take time to sort of take in the seriousness of all of this yet again. All right, so Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 11. Let's hear the word of the Lord. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You are your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would be with us as we come to your word. We pray that you would do a good work in us. Help us to rest in this, what you have revealed about who you are. And God, may it drive our hearts to Jesus, who fulfills what we can't. And may it lead to transformation in our lives and how we live. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. We now arrive at the Ten Commandments. And we arrive with a question. What do we do with them? What do we do with the Ten Commandments? What do we, how do we handle these? 
It really is a, a springboard for us into the tension of the law and the gospel. The law and what we are to do in the tension with the gospel, which is what God has done. It's a do and a done situation. And we feel the tension as people in light of the gospel. What do we do then with the law? Or to put it another way, that will be leading us through these weeks in the Ten Commandments and really through the rest of Exodus. How can a duty we can't keep become a delight we can enjoy? I mean, that's the tension right now. That's the tension when we come to the law or when we come to the Ten Commandments. Or when we come to the righteous standard that God has for his people. I use those interchangeably. What do we do in those moments? It's a duty we cannot keep. Yet somehow, some way, it becomes for those who are in Christ a delight we can enjoy. How? In what ways? How can that take root in our life right now? My hope and my objective today as we consider the first four of these Ten Commandments, the ones that are associated with our focus and worship on God and God alone, the vertical dynamic of our lives, is that we would come away with, with an a increasing delight in God as ultimate. That the word that He reveals to us in the pages of Scripture are to lead our hearts to delight in Him as ultimate. There are a number of obstacles in the way. Our sin, this world, and the devil. And God sets forth through the pages of history and revealed through the pages of Scripture to show us how He knocks down and overcomes those obstacles. But yet, underneath all of that, my hope for my own heart and for ours is that this, these commandments, would drive us to delight in God as ultimate. We're going to tackle that together uh, this morning by one, first doing a survey, if you will, so as to not lose sight of the path that we're going down. So we're going to have four guideposts along the way that should help us Understand the dynamic of law and gospel of what God tells us to do versus what God has done in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we're going to have four guideposts that helps us understand the Old Testament, God's standard, the Ten Commandments, etc. along the way. And then we're going to jump into those first four and see them as four delights as God in God as ultimate. Four delights in God as as ultimate for your heart, for your head, for your life. So let's go forward. Now, we need these guideposts. Four guideposts. These are crucially important to know and understand and to have operating in your brain as you're reading God's Word, especially when it's working through commands and, and standards and, and, and laws and so forth. These four guideposts are important because like a guidepost, it's pointing you in the right direction. It's leading you along the path. And these four guideposts keep us away from falling in, 
losing our way in the wilderness. Now, when we come to talking about God's law and his standard, there's two types of wilderness that we wilderness, wildernesses that we get lost in. One type of wilderness that we can easily get lost in is in our own self-righteousness. That we basically think, oh man, I'm really awesome and good. God's blessed to have me. So we look at the law and these commandments as things that we're able to do and feel really good about ourselves and chalk it up into that divine you know, poster board in the sky with all those gold stars. That's a wilderness that we can get lost in and die. The other wilderness that we can get lost in, that these guideposts will hopefully help us stay away from, is the wilderness of loose living. We live however we want because Jesus, yo. That it keeps us away from not living according to the way that God would want us to live. So both wildernesses are dangers for our soul. Whether it's self-righteous or loose living. And we need these guideposts. This is very important for us and why I want to take some time to do this. Guidepost number one. The first guidepost along the way is that these Ten Commandments or the law of God or His righteous holy standard, they are good. They're good. And if you want to add to that, if you write notes, they lead to the good life. These are good commandments. Let's... Look again at verses 1 and 2 of Exodus chapter 20. Simple words, straightforward, but so much is said here. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. There are three things in just those two verses that help us see that these commands that God then gives to the people of God are good. There are three things here that help us see that. First is this, they are good because God spoke them. God said them. God spoke them. He spoke them directly to the people. They're all gathered around the mountain. Yes, later they would be etched into stone and given directly to Moses to then give to the people. But in his speaking, he is booming these out for all to hear. They're from God directly to the people. They are God, they're good because God said them. Second reason why they're good is they're good because they reflect the character of God. God's ways and his word and his law and his standards are good because they're reflections of who he is. And we get that wrapped up in his name once again. We've hit on this name many times in Exodus. It's very crucially important. But if you're looking in your translation most likely, your translation will have all four letters of the Lord capitalized, referring to Yahweh, the covenant name of God. It's a name that says, you bank everything on me and who I am and upholding who I am. It's the I am who I am name. It's the I will always keep my promise, my covenant, my standard. I will not deviate from who I am. You can trust me and count on me. They're good, these words, these ten words, this decalogue, this glimpse into the law of God, the standard of God. They're good because they reflect to us the character of God. So the law, or these ten commandments, they're not bad. They're good. 
Thirdly, they're good because they come, like we emphasized last week in chapter 19, as the people of God surrounded that, or, you know, rallied at that mountain. They're good because they come in the context of grace. God's law comes in the context of grace. What does he say? He says, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. I brought you here. This is the context of redemption and rescue. This is grace. They're good because that's what they come in, in that sort of context. And now they also, because they are good, they lead then to the good life. The good life. If God is good, and His Word is good, and His ways are good, living in that boundary will always be good. Will always be our good. Our best life now will always be found in the confines of God and His ways and His Word. And never outside of it. Always lead to the good life. Now, I grew up in the Midwest, and then I lived in the Southeast, and then we lived in California, and now here we are in New England. Going from the Midwest, you have a picture, an idea, a feel, a sense, a smell, a sound of what a dairy farm looks like. Then you move to California, and your idea of a dairy farm is obliterated. Now, California does an incredible job of propaganda. They say that California cows are happy cows. There's no way these cows could be happy. In California, a dairy farm is oh, it's like a sweatshop for cows. It's an elaborate system of gates and corridors and very narrow pens under a, a, a metal awning in which there's this like layered system in which they get moved from this 4x4 four four to this 4x4 four four to this 4x4. Four four. It is just this, you're just boxed in. It's incredible, and they go as far as the eye can see. It's depressing. It's sad. The dairy farms I remember seeing when I was a kid in the Midwest, they were wide ranges with just a few wires of barbed wire keeping the cows where they need to be. And they got to walk around and eat and be. And there was room, and there was freedom, and there was just a sense of, like, this is, this is good. This is good. We sometimes think of God's law and his word and his ways. We treat it like a California dairy farm, an elaborate system of gates and corridors that box us in and confine us. But really, it's the wide range of a beautiful, picturesque Midwest dairy farm. Filled with lots of good and freedom to roam and be and live. And sometimes we are like a cow that would occasionally get all wrapped up in that barbed wire. And we would shake our fists at God and yell at him and say, Your word is like an elaborate system of gates and corridors and four by four pins. I hate you for this. When we're the one missing the wide range of God's goodness. I emphasize this because it's important that we get it in our heads and our hearts 
the Bible that you hold on your lap and you read even the hard parts of like the law and the ways that God wants us to live are ultimately for our good because it's a reflection of his character and his goodness. That's the first guidepost. And we need that guidepost so we don't drift into the wilderness of self-righteousness or loose living. Second guidepost that we find is that the Ten Commandments are harder than we think. They are good, but they are oh so harder than we think. They are, while a summation of the whole of the law of God, they are harder than we think. When we reduce the Ten Commandments to single actions that we need to do or avoid, we miss the insurmountable weight each commandment possesses. If you just reduce it down to one thing that you're to do or not do, and you sit there and try to grade yourself according to that, you miss the whole weight. Jesus actually helps us tremendously to see that these are a lot harder than we think. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, it's a sermon on a mount. So it's like the, the New Testament version of Mount Sinai. Jesus is giving them a sermon that's helping them understand and helping us understand what it looks like to live with kingdom values. If you want to belong to the king and live in the kingdom, these are the values, the manner of living that will come with that. And as he does that, he, he helps us see that the Ten Commandments, just the Ten Commandments, just ten of them, are a whole lot harder than we realize. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22, Jesus says these words. You have heard it that it was said to the, those of old, you shall not murder. Now, that's one of our Ten Commandments. That's number six. Don't murder. Good thing. You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So Jesus is saying it's not so much the action, though, yes, that's very important, don't murder. But it's the heart underneath that action, the heart that's fueling that action. Murder doesn't necessarily reside in our actions. That's just the fruit of where murder resides. Murder resides in our hearts. In our hearts. These Ten Commandments are heart issues long before they are lifestyles or choices or decisions that we make in real time. Therefore, <laughs> they're a lot heavier and a lot harder than any of us in here can, can carry because we can't overcome in our own strength issues of the heart. We need something greater than the issues in our heart to do a work in that heart because we can't reach down in there and get it. So, these Ten Commandments, the law of God, His righteous holy standard, it's good. It's good. Let's not lose sight of that. And just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not good. But it is good. And it is harder than we think. These guideposts are helpful for us so we don't drift off into self-righteousness or loose living. Thirdly, third guidepost, is that these Ten Commandments... And the law of God and his righteous standard are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We desperately need this guidepost along the way. We need to see how the word of God, the law of God, the, the standard of God is doing a work 
driving us to see that Jesus fulfills it. The person and the work of Jesus Christ mean everything to the believer. Everything. And I don't mean that in some sort of empty bumper sticker t-shirt kind of way. I mean that quite literally. The person and work of Jesus Christ means everything to us who cling to Christ. Now, you and I, we all, we all make much, and rightfully so, we all make much of what Jesus accomplished for us in his death. Yes and amen. His death pays a penalty that we could not pay. Breaks a power we could not break. Yes, we need his death. But so many times we lose sight of how desperately we need Jesus' life. Jesus lived a life that we could not live. He carried a weight we could not carry. He took on a burden we could not move or budge. He lived perfectly. He lived the duty to its fullest, most complete, perfect. Jesus lived the life, carried the weight of the law for us. Jesus Yes, died for us, but Jesus also lived for us. He even said so. Matthew chapter 5, again, that very important sermon he gave. Matthew five seventeen, He says these words. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus fulfills God's righteous standard that should mark His people. His life matters for ours. That guidepost is crucial because it keeps us from self-righteousness. It's important to see that the Word of God is driving us to see just how much we need Jesus. And that really dovetails into the fourth guidepost. As we come to the Ten Commandments... As we come to this part of the Old Testament that's laying out the standards by which God's people are to live, we need to see that not only are they good, not only are they harder than we think, not only does Jesus fulfill them, but yes, right now, the Ten Commandments matter in our lives. They matter in our lives now. They matter in our lives right now. They matter in one of two ways. For those of us in this room are watching On the other side of this stream, they matter in one of two ways for you. The first way that they matter is that they are a mirror to you, reflecting back your inability to meet God's standard, to be with God, to know God, to have God. They are a mirror back to you. And in so doing, they are driving you then to To Jesus, who does for you what you can't do on your own. It's very important. It shows us our sin. It shows us our inability to meet God's holy standard. And then the rest of the Bible shows us Christ. Shows us His sufficiency for our salvation. That He is our only hope in life or at death. So God's word, his law, his ways, these Ten Commandments reflect back all 
the botched pores on our morality and our standard of living and says that you are not at God's standard. You have fallen short. But that's not all it does. It drives us to see how Jesus lives the life we could not live and gives to us a standard we could not gain so that we could dwell with God. That's how one of the ways in which the Ten Commandments matter for us. The other way is this, sort of at the heart of our approach into the Ten Commandments now, is that they, for those of us in here who have been driven to Christ and cling to Him through faith, the Ten Commandments, the law of God, His holy standard, becomes a delight to better know and follow God. They become for us, they matter now for our lives because they become to us a delight to better know and follow God. And I hope you hear the, the word delight and not the, the word duty because we take the word duty and though that's true, we, 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 we metastasize it into this sort of like works righteous. I got I to gotta do in order to get. For the believer, you and Christ, Christ did it done. Now delight. Delight. Delight in better knowing and following God through his word. Remember, it's good. It reveals to us his character and worth. Remember, it leads to the good life. Outside of God's ways is just death and separation. It leads to the good life in this life. These are good things, and they become for us a delight to better know and follow God. So there's a, a, a psalm that I like to go to to drive this home, and that's Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is well known because the beginning of the psalm, it's all about like how creation is declaring the glory of God, how you are able to look around in this beautiful creation and see the handiwork of God all over the place. And rightfully so. But then there's like this turn in the psalm. And it's like, wait, what? It's found in words like 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Come again? Wait, what? We were just in the stars and like enjoying like watching the snowfall in the redwoods. Like, wait, where are we at now? <laughs> the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul? Or the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart? How can, the, how can that be? How, how can Psalm 19, 7, and 11 be true? If we look at it as a duty that we're to carry, we can never say those words. We can never say them. But if we see them fulfilled in Jesus, and now an open range for us to feast on, they become then the very, very true words of our own heart that we come to find that God's word is sweeter than honey. His ways are great and glorious. They indeed revive our heart because we're feasting on the character of God revealed through his word. That's how we are to stay on this road following forward after God by means of his grace, trusting in his word. These guideposts mean everything to us so that we can then tackle what the law, what the word, 
What did these Ten Commandments say to us? We need them. So I belabor those points because it's, I don't want us to lose sight of how important it is to stay on that very defined path. Because it's very easy to slip off into the woods of self-righteousness or loose living. We need these guideposts. And so as these guideposts are along our pathway, let's now tackle then our first four delights in God as ultimate. God as ultimate. That the, that the word of God is driving us to Jesus so that in Jesus we can delight in God as ultimate. And the first one that we come across is that God is to be our sole delight. The first delight is that God is to be our sole delight. I want to give you one word for each of these four that we move through here. And we'll put those together at the end. It won't be on the screen, but it'll be very easy for us to kind of conceptually see it in our heads. And that word is the word only. The first commandment is that there is to be no other gods. That there is only God. That there is only Yahweh. Only. Look at verse 3 again. Pretty straightforward. You shall have no other gods before me. No other. No other. This is exclusive loyalty to Yahweh. Exclusive loyalty to God. No other. Only God is ultimate in your heart. Something has to be ultimate. And in this world, there are competing things fighting for the ultimacy of our hearts. Something will have it. Something will gain your heart. And God's word is saying, only God is to be ultimate in your heart. No relationship with some other person is so ideal to hold the crown of ultimate in your heart. No occupational prestigious moment will ever be the attaining crown of ultimacy in your heart. No possession that you have can have such tremendous value to you to be the ultimacy of your heart. No matter, no amount of good health and comfort will ever be enough for you to feel like, ah, my feet are up. Life is good. Ultimate is here. All of those things can be gone in a second. All of them. God's never leaving. God's never gone. Only God can be ultimate. And so the first commandment is saying, only, exclusive loyalty to only me. I'm the only one who can handle the crown and the weight of ultimacy. No other. Further, it's, it's to drive it home, it's just to... It's the one commandment, the first one. It's the one commandment to rule them all, like the ring, right? The one commandment to rule them all. Get this one wrong and the rest will follow. Be off here and you're not landing in L.A. You're landing somewhere else, right? You'll like leave Boston one degree off kind of joke. If you're wrong here, the rest will follow. That doesn't necessarily guarantee that your heart will be aligned perfectly if you are right here. But the call is still, um, is still bearing on us. And, and it comes with us then, it comes to us with the recognition that there will indeed be many little G gods competing for your heart. There will be all, there will be a lifetime of competing little G gods. And guess what? Uh, an old theologian 
from the 1600s, he put it this way. The human heart is an idol factory. So while the world around us is supplying us with all the goods and materials, the heart is the factory that never quits. It won't stop. Works overtime. There's no union. Your heart just goes. And so this first call is to say God is ultimate. Only God. Only. And then to drive it home, he says, before me. Literally, it means in my presence. This is real quick, quick theological point. Uh, God is ever present, always. Okay. <laughs> is there ever a moment in your life, time, space, anywhere, dimension, multiverse, wherever, I don't care, that he's not ever present, always? No. If he's ever present, always, and we're not to have anything in his presence, It is a call to exclusive loyalty to God and God alone as ultimate in our hearts. Now, what happens when we don't? Quick excursus. When we don't set our hearts on God alone, when people reject the one true living God for the little G gods of this age, then we get things like today or next week that are led our held out as very significant and important in the life of the church. Churches all across our nation today or next Sunday, because the anniversary date is January 22nd, is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Sanctity of Life Sunday is the Sunday that churches around our nation celebrate God's gift of life, commemorate the many lives lost to abortion, and commit themselves to help protect human life at every stage. When we reject the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments, injustice of all kinds are bound to follow with relation to the last six commandments. Whether it's born or unborn, injustice will follow when we reject the first four. So it matters greatly because it does shape how we go about living. Life does indeed go to hell when all the other little G-gods get to have sway. We'll speak more to the Sanctity of Life Sunday next week as, it, as we'll then be on, obviously, the six commandments that deal with our relationships with others. But the start of that problem starts here when we reject the one true living God. So God's call to us in the first commandment is that God alone, only, 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 only is to be ultimate in our hearts. That leads us to the second commandment. And the second commandment is this. God is not interested in fake worship. God is not interested in fake worship. The one word that I'll give you on a positive side of it is true. So commandment one is all about only. Commandment two is about true. God's not interested in false worship. He doesn't want your false worship. So Exodus chapter 20 verses 4 through 6 talk about not making um, for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. This 
commandment deals with worshiping God in a false way. Rejecting what he has said about how he is to be worshipped. And what was happening here is that they were people would make something as a representative of God. And then say it is God. And then worship it as if it were God. And God's saying, no, don't, you don't get to do that. Don't do that. So this commandment is to say, don't worship God in a false way. Actually, rather be true. Follow God in a true way. Here's an important passage in Leviticus chapter 10. That helps us see that God takes this very seriously. Leviticus chapter 10, 1 and 2. Tell us the story of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. Uh, Each took his censer. They were working in the priestly care. Each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and authorized or offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. What Nadab, and actually when you dig into what happened there, what Nadab and Abihu did was they brought pagan worship practices into the worship of God. They broke the second commandment. They, they actually worshipped God in a false worship way. And God cares very much about how we approach him and how we look to him and how we trust him and how we cling to his word and we do what his word says. So for us, the positive response, one word to the second commandment is true. How do we go about delighting in God as ultimate? Well, we see it's only God and we do that in truth. We do that true. Third commandment. Third commandment is God is not interested in fake hearts. (coughs) Excuse me. God's not interested in the second commandment in false worship. In the third commandment, he's not interested in fake hearts. Now, yes, the commandment there says, do not take the name of the Lord God in vain. And we often think of that and we reduce it to, don't use God's name as a curse word or as a profanity. Yes, don't do that. (coughs) Excuse me. Yes, don't do that. But really, literally, what is said here means to lift up the name to emptiness. To lift up the name to emptiness. You see, there's actually something going on underneath the using God's name in vain commandment that gets actually down into a heart level issue. Underneath this commandment is a warning against fake hearts, even if lips are saying all the right words. Don't lift up the name of the Lord to this emptiness. Jesus got after that. He was concerned very much about that. Quoting the Old Testament, he says in Matthew 15, The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. So our one word here is real. How do we go about delighting in God as ultimate? We see him alone, only, true, real. Only, true, real. And that leads us then to see in the fourth commandment, 
the commandment about keeping the Sabbath, for it is to be kept holy, shows that it's a life that is centered on God that he's after. God wants your life centered on him. And if the word here would just simply be the word worship. And what do I mean by this? This commandment, which speaks to the Sabbath, which is keeping this day set aside for the worship of God, six days work, one day rest and worship, is really a commandment that's representing an ordered life that is centered on God, that there's rest and there's worship and there's glory. But really, when you, you read it, and it takes you all the way back to Genesis, back to the creation account, in which mankind is given its ultimate meaning and purpose. And the ultimate meaning and purpose for mankind is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So this fourth commandment, which we want to reduce it down to, hey, go to church on Sunday, check off, boom, is really saying, hey, live your life as God intended you to live. Live your life reflecting God's rule in this world. Live your life glorifying God and enjoying Him. Settle and center your life on God. Hence, say, He is worth all of my life, or the word for that, worship. So that when we put those four words together in the positive way, to go about delighting in God as worship, we say God only is worthy of our true and real worship. And nothing else and no one else. And that our worship is indeed to be real and true. Don't fake it. Don't bring something false. But come and set down your life before the God who saved sinners such as us through Jesus. Who lived a way that we could not live. And gives to us what we could not gain. So that we can delight in that which we could never have carried on our own. And there, in that wide open range, you find this good life. A duty we can't keep now becomes a delight we can enjoy. And that delight, friends, leads us to better know, worship, love, and follow our redeeming God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and we ask that you would help us to find this word uh, to be at home in our hearts. God, would you do that, we pray? Would you help us to see that this really is a delight for us to behold? And God, would you also drive us who might be far from you, would you drive us to the end of ourselves to see that Christ is there? Christ is strong. Christ is sufficient. Christ saves. How would you do that, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. One quick announcement before we head out. Today is the last day we're going to receive anything for our Christmas offering. That was going to Don Parsons and Mission Eurasia and their work that they're doing with uh, City Church and other churches in Armenia as they care for the thousands upon thousands of refugees pouring into their nation. So far, up until the last count that I had, we'd raised nearly $6,000 to send their way to help build those care boxes and provide them 
crucial resources to minister and, and disciple those who have moved into their cities. How awesome is that? Thank you for that. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your commitment to the gospel work that God is doing throughout the world. And if you hadn't given, but you wanted to, and today is our last day to do that, you can do that online um, and our give page. Just choose the Christmas offering option. All right. That being said, uh, before we head out of here, please stand for our benediction. Simple, yet incredibly profound, and hopefully very encouraging for you. It will help your hearts delight in him all the more. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen and amen.